our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. That's right, be skeptical but don't close your mind. Welcome to the first edition of the Veritas Show, where the truth will set you free. I am your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for tuning in. Since this is our first show, I want to make it interesting and informative, and would like to take a moment to talk about the intro you just heard which has a few individuals worth mentioning. I'm sure you've already recognized some of those voices, but in case you didn't, here they go. Ronald Reagan, during his famous United Nations speech, the Roswell crash headline before it turned out to be a weather balloon, the Swiss air pilot who saw something too fast to be an airplane. And the next one is the highest ranking US government official to ever publicly speak about UFO disclosure. He is none other than John Podesta, Chief of Staff for former President Bill Clinton and Transition Team Co-Chair for President-Elect Barack Obama. I found it interesting how not too long ago, during that speech, he actually talked about UFO disclosure and how we can actually handle the truth and how it's the law. We had to add that clip to our intro, and it also gives us some hope for possible disclosure during the Obama administration. And finally, our last portion of the intro, proclaiming be skeptical but don't close your mind, is the first guest of our show. You may have recently heard his name all over the world and through the British Ministry of Defense as the American Air Force pilot who was ordered to shoot down an alleged UFO 
over the skies of England in 1957. Dr. Milton Torres will join us from Miami later in the show. I hope you can stick around for that. You don't want to miss that interview. Before we start, let me get into the five W's. Who, what, where, when, and why of this show. Yes, I will treat this show as a journalist. I would not do it any other way. I will gather data that I deem bona fide and relevant enough to share with you. I will ask the questions you, the audience, would probably want to ask, but were never able to. First, the who. Who am I? I'm going to borrow this quote from Jordan Maxwell. I'm an ordinary man pursuing extraordinary knowledge. That basically sums it up. Most of my expertise is in international business and geopolitics. And I know enough from other subjects, but can't claim to be an expert. That's why I created this show. To find the experts and ask those questions that can help us get closer and closer to the truth. From a very young age, I've had an overly developed sense of wonder and up to this day live by many mottos, including this one. I would rather have a mind open by wonder than one closed by belief. Nothing I was taught was able to fill that void, from school to college to a postgraduate degree. It's as if society was designed to keep us in the dark. How many times did you ask questions at school or elsewhere? only to be ridiculed or dismissed. Why? Because no one could answer the questions, and it's better to say, because that's the way God wants it, or because those in control don't want you to know. For ages, mankind has been asking these questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? And where are we going? If you have ever been at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, you would see a painting by a French artist named Paul Gauguin, dated 1897. You can actually find his masterpiece displayed there, entitled, Who Are We? Where Do We Come From? And Where Are We Going? The painting addresses his struggle with the meaning of existence. So, this is who I am. I will attempt to find and share knowledge through data gathered through bona fide sources. I will not alter or sensationalize. However, sometimes I must give you my opinion of what we are really getting from the mainstream media. You don't really believe everything you see and hear, do you? Otherwise, you wouldn't be here listening to me. That's the who. Now to the what of the show. Before I tell you what this show is, let me tell you what it's not. This show will not, I repeat, will not be a religious show. Occasionally, we will touch on the religious subject from an outside perspective, as there will be implications to world religions if and when extraterrestrial disclosure eventually occurs. That's what exopolitics is all about. Let's define exopolitics. It is a new scientific discipline that focuses on the political aspects of interactions with extraterrestrial life. 
It studies the key individuals, institutions, and political processes that are associated with extraterrestrial life in general, as well as, more specifically, those associated with the extraterrestrial presence here on Earth. I have spent a considerable amount of time searching for the right name for this show. There were a number of names being considered that had to do with exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, conspiracies, UFOs, etc. But none were broad enough to cover the vast array of topics we want to discuss here. We will also be conducting some interviews in Spanish, so we needed a name that could be used and adapted in both languages. That is how the name Veritas came up in the first place. What is the definition of the Latin word Veritas, you ask? It means honesty and truthfulness. It was predominantly used by the Romans and was thought of as a virtue. That is exactly what I'm trying to bring forth to you. Honesty, truthfulness, and, let me add to it, transparency. We are not owned by any major corporation, nor are we influenced by any political party. We are apolitical and welcome intellectual anarchy. Now to the where of the show. Where am I? Where is the show being broadcast from? Just as the intro states, from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, at a studio called Manticore's Lair. And to the when of the show. Our plans are to have the show available at our website, which is veritasshow.com, with streaming audio and podcast, and eventually through a few progressive radio stations around the world. As schedule permits, a new show will be posted on our website every Friday evening. More specifically, 9 p.m. Mountain Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, midnight for Puerto Rico, and 4 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time on Saturday for the rest of the world. And finally, the why of the show. If you're like me, you are not satisfied with the information available via the mainstream media, newspapers, and any publication out there. You have to really dig deeper and find many alternative sources, like this show, for example, in order to make sense of things. The internet certainly helps, but the key here is discernment. Remember that word. We will use it frequently. It would be absurd to assume everything you hear and see is exactly what it is. There is a reason why. What you see in the media is not a monopoly. It is a mediaopoly. All media is owned by a few corporations thanks to deregulation by the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. These corporations are massive conglomerates involved in defense, pharmaceuticals, banking, and anything else you could possibly imagine. So, is there a media cover-up? You bet there is. Slowly, many people like you are awakening and realizing that it's pure propaganda to keep the population in the dark. Our goal at the Veritas show is to remove the proverbial blinders to assist you in awakening. Your goal 
is to help awaken others. And before we end this segment and go into break, here's a bit of personal history which motivated me to create this show. In the early 60s, my immigrant family settled in the beautiful island of Puerto Rico, where I was born and raised. In 1974, as a young boy, I was mesmerized by the witness reports and videos of what was known as the Puerto Rico UFO wave of the early 70s. Remember, Puerto Rico falls within one of the corners of the Bermuda Triangle. This is before I had ever seen a UFO-related movie. Although I have and had never seen a UFO, seeing footage of one filmed just a short distance from my home was enough for my inquisitive mind to open its doors wide. Some of these videos were thoroughly analyzed by experts and were proven to be genuine and, that we know of, the alleged craft were no match maneuver and speed-wise to any existing man-made technology available today, let alone at that time. With that, I believe I've given you a summation of what the Veritas show is all about. That said, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Milton Torres. Don't go anywhere. You really don't want to miss this interview.
Welcome back to The Veritas Show. I am your host, Mel Fabregas. Tonight's guest has an extensive resume. He is a retired and highly decorated United States Air Force major who proudly served his country from 1951 to 1971. He graduated at the Air Force All-Weather Fighter Pilot Interceptor School and was sent to England to augment the Royal Air Force as part of three squadrons assigned to protect the British Isles during the Cold War. He is credited with over 300 combat missions in Vietnam. He holds multiple degrees, including a bachelor's degree in general engineering, a master's degree in aerospace engineering, both from Oklahoma State University and a Ph.D. in mechanical engineering from the University of Miami. He was also an industrial engineering professor and researcher at Florida International University and holds a number of aerospace-related patents and recently made it to the world's headlines after the British Ministry of Defense declassified the files on his encounter with a UFO. The Veritas Show is honored to have with us from Miami... Dr. Milton Torres. Dr. Torres, thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure. It's been quite a ride ever since the news came out in October. Your name has been all over the world, and it seems the media can't get enough of you. Yeah, that's for something that happened 50 years ago. Why don't you give us a recount of what exactly you were doing that evening on July 28, 1957, and how it all started? It was May. It was not July. May, but July 28th is my birthday. Uh, but uh, it was May, and I, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but it was late May, around the 27th, I guess it was. But that, that doesn't matter. Uh, our squadron, the 514th Fighter Interceptor Squadron, was rated combat ready from rocketry, etc. Uh, and once we were rated, uh, combat ready, we had then, uh, pulled a share of the alerts uh, on the British Isles for that, for that particular time, whatever time they selected. This night, uh, I was on duty, uh, in the alert, uh, position. We were expect we had two ships and we were expected to get scrambled. At any time, we never know when the scrambles come. They just come. Anyway, uh, we were there just around midnight. The exact time I don't remember, but it was close enough to midnight to say it was midnight. Uh, we got the scramble, and the notice was to take off uh, and head zero one zero and uh, go to Angels three two zero, which is thirty two thousand feet. As I was taxiing, I was already in contact with GCI, because I switched it over right away. Uh, I wanted to make sure I didn't miss a thing. And then they told me, uh, we're going to advise you now so that you can prepare, select 24 rockets. This will be a fire, an active fire mission. This is not a practice. This is not a drill. This is the real thing. Uh, at that point, of course, uh, my adrenaline was up, up as high as it can go. And from that point on, it was nothing but hands over feet. You know, it was just, I was all over the damn place. So uh, the next thing I knew is I have to authenticate this message because this is the real thing. So I uh, reached in my pocket and put, picked up our, we have a, uh, a a security slip that we're given before we go on missions. And it's a matrix of, of numbers and, and 
uh, and letters in the, al- in the alphabet. And basically, what this matrix says, they give you a, a let's say they, they give you A, Alpha Bravo. Or right, you look at Alpha Bravo and into the column, and they, their answer would be uh, Zebra Foxtrot or something like that. And they gave me the correct answer, and that meant it was an official mission, and I, and I had the, the, the authority to fire. Okay, that, uh, you have to do this to make sure. At that point, uh, we started being vectored up to to get to the the target. The target was uh, that particular time was somewhere in northeast Anglia, and uh, we didn't know exactly where or what we were. We're doing this loop. When we take off of Manson, Manson is right opposite France, and it's only like maybe 22, 23 miles across the uh, the, the, the English Channel at that point. Uh, we, I made a right-hand turn to go to 010. We did. And uh, we, we stayed at 010 until uh, we continued climbing, and we continued climbing to 32,000 feet. Uh, prior to that time... We had several discussions about what this was. Uh, this was an unknown, and it was uh, acting very weird, and it was apparently uh, orbiting Ipswich. Uh, Ipswich, Norwich, are, are kind of in the northern section of uh, East Anglia, uh, but we were going 32,000. I was climbing at 0.92 Mach, which is as fast as this thing can go. At any rate, when I got up there, they started vectoring me, and they gave us an in-place turn. An in-place turn puts us in the tr- towards the target directly, and it, it 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 offsets the target so it's 45 degrees on either side, whichever side it would be from our turn. When I when we settled out, I immediately picked up the target. The target was a blip, the biggest blip I've ever seen. It looked like it was an aircraft carrier in the North Sea. It was that big. And uh, I just kept, com- kept coming in, and I, I attempted a lock-on, and immediately it locked on because it hit 15 miles. That's our lock-on point, and it, it locked on immediately. It was such a strong target that the radar just couldn't be busted. It just locked on. Anyway, I, I continued the, the mission, and, and it was uh, coming in, and... Uh, I, I call Judy. Judy means uh, no, I don't need any more information. I've got the target. It's locked on, and the radar is taking, taking over. At that point, I also heard, uh, about maybe a few seconds later, uh, Judy from my wingman. He, so he also was locked on. He was behind me about a mile or so, but off to the right. So anyway, we came in, and uh, just about the time that uh, we, I got what they call 20 seconds to go. This means the circle starts collapsing. Uh, this circle is about four inches across, and it has a little marker for uh, on the side uh, indicating the overtake speed. And I was overtaking him by about two to 300 miles per hour, which is pretty damn fast. But he, he, was, he was obviously not going the same speed as I was. He was going some other speed or whatever he was doing. Anyway, uh, as I was going in, the, the circle started to collapse, which indicated a 20 seconds from splash. Splash is, of course, when uh, the fire rockets are automatically fired. 
what happens is uh, just about four seconds to go, you get a little line. Uh, uh, the line is maybe not much bigger than a quarter inch long. And you have to take the dot and put that dot uh, from the standpoint of elevation right on that line. So this means they, the radar has killed the, uh, the uh, azimuth, and you have to put that dot on the line uh, to fire the missiles. So uh, at that time, I also pulled my, my trigger. And just as I was getting in, I got the X, which means splash. And the uh, next thing I know is uh, on the jizzel band, which is the jizzel band is a, um, a band of light that uh, uh, on normal radars, it goes around in a circle. But in our radar, it doesn't. It just holds still. Uh, but I could see the target on the jizzle band, and it was, it was illuminated all the way, and it just took off. It just kept going, 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 and the overtake was beyond minus 200 now. It was just, you know, it was so so incredible. It had to be going close to Mach 10, and the next thing I know, he was gone. I mean, gone off the radar screen completely. Before... I, I before you actually pulled the trigger, how fast was well, this? Well, I pulled the trigger, but it doesn't matter. The trigger won't fire until until it's ready. You know, you, you pull the trigger, which means it closes the circuit to fire. However, only the radar will fire it. The radar does it by itself. But when I pull, well, this is... Well, this is the way this is the way it has to be done because uh, it's a very technical point. The timing on this thing is probably in the millionth of a second. That uh, the times when it, when it finally fires that thing, but when it fires it, it's you have to have the trigger depressed, or the fire circuit doesn't go to the rockets. So, so this is interesting for our audience because this is 1957. And for yes, the time, I, you were actually flying a very sophisticated aircraft, the F-86D. D, D, which is all weather version. This is all done because of the, just exactly because of bombers and what have you that used to exist in those days. This is a perfect weapon to stop bombers from coming in. And if you uh, salvo a load, which was 24 rockets, you, they're guaranteed to hit a bomber. You just can't miss it. It's just like a buckshot when they go out. Anyway, when I pull that trigger, I'm done with the mission uh, until it fires. And, of course, in this case, it didn't fire because the radar decided I was out of range. He, well, what happened was he was so far ahead of me that he, it would have never hit him. It would have been fired into nothing. So uh, I reported this to the ground. The ground radar indicated they were off his scope. His scope was 250 miles which means, in, and the center that was somewhere near London. And uh, that means he was all, all, not only off the scope, he was out of England. He was gone. And uh, that's how fast he was going. So, uh, of course, we, we canceled the mission and had to go back and land. That was the end of the mission. Meanwhile, they, warned, they told me to call on the landline when I get on the ground. I did. And they told me not to discuss this with anyone and that somebody would be down from London uh, at the embassy. And it was probably one, one of our national security people. I don't know who it was. I know the, the gentleman came in. He had a dark, uh, looked like a Navy uh, trench coat. Now, and, before we get to that part, just yeah. before you were scrambled, radar personnel were tracking this object for a while, right? Yes. 
yes. N- not only were you given the order to scramble, but you were given the order to use your full salvo of 24 rockets. Uh, immediately. 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 Yes. In all your years as a fighter pilot, has that ever happened? Never, never had that happen, ever. That, that's uh, the rarest order I've ever received. So what happened after you returned to base? Oh, well, I picked up the landline and, and I talked to... Who, uh, the GCI controller on the other end of the line in, in Met sector, and uh, he said that he's instructed to tell me not to discuss this mission with anyone, and that somebody would be down from London to debrief me the next day. And uh, we're only 75 miles out of London, so I figured that would that's easy, that's not far. So anyway, sure enough, the next day, uh, here comes this, this this guy with the navy trench coat. He introduces himself and shows me his documentation, which was basically something official that looked like it was from Washington somewhere. But, you know, I, I, I don't know specifically. I was so pumped up that I didn't know what the hell to tell you. So anyway, I, I talked to the man and, and debriefed him and told him exactly what happened, which is basically what I've just told you. And uh, he said, now, he says, I want you to understand this clearly. He says, you are not to discuss this with anyone. This means your wife, your friends, your fighter pilot friends, your commander, or anyone else. So this is this is your last discussion about this mission. I said, I understand. And he says, uh, if you if you violate this and, and say it's anything, we will remove you from flying status. And I know what that meant. That that meant I would not be flying anymore. And I now didn't you want said that. your wingman. Yes. Was your wingman visited by this person also? It was also? not even discussed. It was not even discussed. Uh, and I, I never just talked to the wingman again. Uh, as far as I was concerned, it terminated when he told me that. Everything. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.